Let me see Arlington. What's going on? How you doing this morning? We good? All right. If you got a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We're going to start at verse 19 and move through verse 25. James chapter 1. Uh, we're in the middle of a series titled The Beauty of Faith. And one point about that that I want to make this morning is that faith in Jesus should actually produce a beauty in the world. A faith in Jesus should actually produce beauty in the world um, because the scriptures tell us that when we're transformed by the spirit of God, by believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ, what happens is we're transformed into a people who exhibit the character of Jesus Christ or, or what the scriptures call the fruit of the Holy Spirit. So as, as you are being changed more to the image of Christ, what should be happening is that you're being transformed into a, a person characterized by love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And one of my thoughts, even as I was looking at the news yesterday, is this. What would happen if Christians all around the world exhibited those qualities? What would happen if Christians all around the world, if we exhibited love in a world that feels like it's so characterized by hate? That we as Christians, that, that if, if we would exhibit joy in a world that seems to be characterized by so much discontentment, and in a world so characterized by wars and rumors of wars, what, what would happen if we were a community that exhibited peace? Well, let me tell you what would happen. I think that the world will, will peer into the church, and while they might not immediately trust and believe in Jesus Christ because there needs to be a message coupled with their actions, I believe that it would give Jesus a hearing because of the kind of community that happens within the local church. And that's my prayer for NBC Arlington, that your faith will produce beauty, will put beauty into the world. And so I know for many of you guys, it may be hard for you to believe that faith produces beauty because, listen, we're so used to people claiming uh, the name of Jesus Christ, and it seems like their lives are characterized by ugliness. I don't have to point too far from this church building to point you towards people who seems like they evoke the name of Jesus Christ in order to gain power or to gain prestige or to gain wealth. But when you see that happen, I always have to remind people, those who claim Jesus, that doesn't mean that they know Jesus. And so my prayer for us today is this, that we'll be a people that exhibit the beauty of faith. And so with that said, I want us to read a text this morning. This text helps us describe, describes for us what does it mean to actually follow Jesus. And so let's do this out of respect for the word of God this morning. Let's stand if you're able. And I'm going to read the word of God this morning. So James 1 19 through 25, here it is. It says, know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what, he's, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, 
He will be blessed in his doing. And this is the word of God. You guys go to take a seat. Let's take a moment. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. What your word describes in this text, we can absolutely not do on our own. Father, we are people who are quick to speak, slow to listen, and quick to anger. Father, I pray that you'll do the transformative work on our heart, Father, that we will not simply be influenced by the world and the chaos around us. But we will understand and know in the depths of our souls that you are with us. And because of that, we can be transformed. You can change us. So, Father, help us to hear your word this morning. Help us to respond to it in the way that we should in faith and obedience. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you agree, say amen. 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 All right. Hey, guys, so I don't know if you ever paid attention to uh, how people sit, right? Um, I constantly hear how body posture can tell us a lot of things uh, about a person. I don't know how much this is true, but people often say that if someone sits with crossed arms, that means that they're trying to hide something or they're being defensive. If somebody sits with crossed legs, that that, that likely means that, uh, that that means that they're trying to hide something. Now, listen, I'm not saying this is 100%. I'm not telling you guys to look around the room and look at people's body language and try to observe their character. I'm not telling you to go home and look at your roommate. And, and, and try to read their bodies. It's not 100%. But I do think body posture can tell us a couple of things. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about my grandmother. Man, my grandmother uh, lived a hard life. She was a sharecropper in North Carolina. Uh, she lived her whole life bent over in fields um, harvesting things. My grandmother was bent over her whole life. But what was amazing about my grandmother is that despite that, uh, she had perfect posture. Uh, what was amazing about grandmother is that, man, she sat up straight. She looked regal-like. I guarantee you, if there was something like the Posture Olympics, and you put my grandmother and the Queen of England side by side, Queen of England is coming in second because my grandmother, her posture uh, could not be matched, right? Uh, she was amazing. And yet, as my grandmother got older, arthritis began to set in, and my grandmother didn't sit as tall as she did before. The pain often became unbearable. Grandma started to hunch over a little bit. And her body posture told me this, that pain can shift posture. Pain can shift posture. And this isn't just the case physically. This is also the case in in our relationships. If you live life long enough, you've seen what I've seen. And I've seen pain shift posture that people have towards one another. I've seen pain take friends and and loved ones and turn them into enemies. I've seen grief and loss take marriages and turn people who once loved one another into perfect strangers. I've seen people going through pain pushing the people that love them away. I've seen anger and vitriol replace where where love once stood. Pain can shift posture. And this is also the case in our relationship with God. What I love about the book of James is that James is the half-brother of Jesus Christ, and he's right into a people who are experiencing the pain of a trial and the trouble of temptation. And he helps them understand that if they're not careful, their temptations and their trials can shift their heart posture towards God and each other. And my prayer for you this morning is this, is that you'll consider your posture this morning. 
If you know me, if you've been around me for a while, you know this about me. I have horrible posture. And the fact of the matter is that was not due to my mother's influence. My mom tried her hardest. She made me read books on etiquette when I was a teenager. Every time I would sit down with my mother, she would always say, sit up, son. And when she said that, that helped me understand two things. One, I had slipped into improper posture. And two, I needed to fix it. And today I pray as I preach this sermon, I pray that, that, that my voice will be something like my, my mother's was to me. That you'll consider your posture to other people and to God this morning. And that this clarion call from the word of God will be what you need by the power of the spirit to fix your posture. All right. So what is a healthy posture first? What does it look like towards one another? Well, let's look at the scriptures. Look at the passage. Let me give you this. What does a healthy posture look like? It's a posture where we are slow with our words. And I'll even add, we're also slow with our anger. Look at verse 19. It says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. All of this to say, a healthy posture towards each other is where we are slow with our words and with our anger. Let me give you some context here. The very first verse, James says in the first chapter, James says that he's writing to a group of Christians who are of the dispersion, meaning that these Christians are far away from home. Because of persecution in Jerusalem, these Christians have been spread out all over the empire. It's a painful trial. It's hard to be away from home. They're hurting. But then also as well, he's writing to an incredibly diverse group of people, especially socioeconomically. So when you look at chapter 1, verses 9 through 10, um, James is writing to two groups, of, at least two groups of people in the church. He's writing to those who are rich and also those who are poor. And, and this is amazing because in Roman society, uh, uh, within uh, where uh, most of the New Testament was written, there were only two classes of people, the rich and the poor. And these two groups rarely interacted with one another. There was a wide gap of disparity between the two. There was no middle class in Roman society. And there were no places where the rich and poor actually meaningfully um, interacted with one another. They didn't socialize with one another. They didn't go to the same places. They didn't spend time with each other. And in this letter, James, adri- James is addressing these people who are rich and poor who have found commonality in Jesus Christ. The local church during that time was the only place in Roman society where two people who've been rescued by Jesus Christ, the rich and the poor, actually meaningfully interacted with one another. They became um, completely uh, complete strangers and they were joined together within family. And because these people never had interactions with one another, even though they're family, we all know with our physical family, sometimes the differences are awkward to navigate. And they needed to hear this loud and clear, that the pain of their dispersion did not give them an excuse to close their ears to their neighbors. They needed to hear that their frustration with the differences with their neighbors uh, uh, who, who are different than them is not an excuse for them to lash out in anger. Here's the thing. Pain does not have to shift your posture towards other people. This is what James is trying to get at. And we need to hear this, too. Because there may not be a bigger witness that the church of Jesus Christ can have in this moment, in this city that are filled with hurting people, than for us to become a people 
who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. God, we know this. Listen, when I turn on my TV to C-SPAN, all I hear is people who are quick to talk and quick to anger. And I get it. Listen, man, C-SPAN may be low-hanging fruit this morning. It's easy for us to look at Capitol Hill and then say, man, these people are crazy. They need to read James 1. But listen, the purpose of what I'm saying today is this. It's not for you to think about somebody else. That's the epitome of pride for you to sit under a sermon and to think, yo, so-and-so needs to hear this. Yo, I want this word to come right to you on your front doorstep and for you to consider, are you quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry? Let me give you a definition of anger really quickly. This is what anger is. Anger is an active displeasure towards a threat to something that we love. Anger is an active displeasure towards a threat to something that we love. I think this is a good definition, but here's the issue with our anger. If anger is an active displeasure towards a threat to something that we love, the Bible tells us a little bit about the stuff that we love. Here's the thing. The issue is this. We actually love the wrong things. We love the wrong things because of our sin against God. We don't love the things that we should love. In our lives, what we end up doing is we love the things that we should love a lot. We actually love those a little. And the things that we should love very, very little, we love a whole lot. So I think about my own life. Listen, instead of loving to listen, I often love being right. Instead of loving God, I often often love myself more. Instead of loving to serve my neighbor, I often love my own comfort instead. And here in this morning, if anger is an act of displeasure towards a threat to something that we love, and if we love ourselves more than anything, this means this, that our anger is often selfish and is often misguided. And if our anger is selfish often and misguided often, you know what that means? We should be slow to anger. We should be slow to anger. Listen, in your personal relationships, guys, you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. When we're talking about even our political conventions, we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. When people are around you and you don't get them and you're so different and you simply want to convince them to your point of view, you also need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. And I guess let me, t- let me say what you might be thinking at this moment. Many of us are too quick to dismiss this clear command in the Bible because we automatically think about the most outlandish thing that somebody could say. We, we, we think about the craziest thing that someone can say, and we say, clearly God isn't telling me that I need to entertain what they're saying. Guys, we all know this. People say some off-the-wall stuff. Man, I even hesitate to call this church a church. But there's a church out there. They're called Westboro Baptist Church. I know many of you guys have heard of them. And I don't know if they still do this, but in the past, they used to show up to random funerals, like uh, funerals of service members who had died in combat and others. And they would hold these signs outside of the funeral. And I remember uh, one of the signs that I saw them holding, it said, thank God for dead soldiers. It's crazy. Like I said before, everybody who claims to be following Jesus is not following him. And I don't think this verse would be calling people who are mourning a lost loved one. 
to step out of the processional, to walk up to the person holding that sign, saying, well, God told me to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, so I want to listen to you. Like, how did you get to that point of view? I don't think God is calling us to do simply that. I don't think that. Guys, people can say some wild and evil, hateful things, and this verse is not saying that you need to give everyone an equal hearing. So the same Bible that has in James 1.19, everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. It also says in Ecclesiastes 7, it says, do not take heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. So your question should be, what is it? Should I be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry? Or should I not take heart to all the things that people say? Let me give you the answer. Yes. Yes. Remember, James is often called the Proverbs of the New Testament. And wisdom, like Proverbs and James gives, is often, it is, it's situational, right? There are going to be situations, hear me, for a number of reasons where you don't want to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, but that's what's best for you, and you need to do it. And there are going to be other situations where it's going to be best for you to remove yourself. And so all that to say, I don't want you to, when it comes to this commandment, I don't want you to think about the craziest thing that somebody can say right now and to think, ah, that gives me a reason. That gives me a reason to not do this, Right? Don't think about the crazy things that people can say, because here's the thing. No matter what they say, your default posture, your first movement should always be, I need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Why is that? It says in verse 20, it says, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And here's the thing. You, you might be tempted to read that verse and to think well, that verse is saying that all anger is wrong. But that's not true. This passage qualifies anger. It says the anger of who? The anger of man, right? Listen, that's because of this. Our anger tends to be lightning quick. It tends to be reactive. It, it, it tends to be used simply because we feel slighted or wronged. And our anger is typically used to protect our idols, I'll just use me as an example. I get angry when people slide, drive so slow in this city. And why is that? Because I'm impatient, and their slow driving feels like it's threatening my idol of control. I'll keep going about me. I can easily get anger, angry at my kids. And it's not because I'm mad because their anger is hurting them. I'm mad, especially out in public, uh, because their behavior is a reflection on me, I feel. And why is that? Because I idolize my reputation. And clearly they don't idolize my reputation. <laughs> I get angry at being inconvenienced rather than injustice in the world. And this selfish anger can grip us without even thinking. It's so quick. And this is the anger of man. However, let me tell you something about God. God has it. God the anger of God is actually a good anger. His anger is slow, it's informed, and it's always right. And if we are believers in Jesus Christ and we're going to be and we're being transformed into his image, we should be a people that imitate him. Let me give you a few verses in the Bible that describe the anger of God. Here's one, Exodus 34, 6. The Lord passed before him 
and proclaim the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Nehemiah 9, 17. You are a God ready to forgive, gracious and merciful. What? Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And he did not forsake them. I'm going to keep driving this home. Psalm 86, 15. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. One of the favorite ways that God, one of his favorite ways to describe himself is the fact that he's slow to anger. God's default posture towards us is that he's slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And I love this because we would not be saved today if God wasn't slow to anger. We would not. Y'all, we should have been wiped out a long time ago. And yet God was slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. My sin deserved his immediate wrath. And yet on the cross, Jesus showed mercy to me. And if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that should fill your heart with joy this morning because he did the same for you. He did. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he did the same for you. And if Jesus was slow to anger with us, we need to be slow to anger with each other. We're called to imitate him. So my next question is this. How do you know if you foresee, how do you know that you are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. How do you know you're growing in this? How do we become this way? Here's the next point I want to give you. You are able to form a posture towards other people in which you are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry when you have a certain posture towards God's word. So here's the point. We need, actually, we need to be open to God's word. We see this actually in verse 21. Verse 21, it says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Let me tell you what James is saying here, and I'll give you some context. James pretty much is saying, hey, listen, believers in Christ, keep the same energy now that you had when you first believed in Jesus Christ. So um, in James 1, uh, 18, James talks about how those believers that he's writing to, how they first believed in Jesus Christ. And he says that they were brought forth by the word of God. And simply what that means is that when, when, when these believers heard the, what the word of God said about Jesus, that Jesus is Lord and Savior, how did they respond to it? They received it humbly. They trusted in it. They said, listen, Jesus isn't just Lord and Savior. He needs to be Lord and Savior to me. And for me to become into right relationship with Jesus, I need to repent and trust in him. They received the word about Jesus with meekness. And in verse 21, he's saying, keep that same energy. He said, just like you received it then, even in the face of trials, you need to receive it now. But I want to focus on that word meekness because that word meekness is incredibly important. It's a hard word to define. So let me take a moment to define it, try to define it for you. So we'll give it a shot. This is what meekness is, I believe. Meekness is this. It's an attitude or quality of heart whereby a person willingly accepts and submits without resistance to the will and desire of someone else. 
It's an attitude or quality of heart whereby a person willingly accepts and submits without resistance to the will and desire of someone else. So when we receive the word of God with meekness, it's saying, God, I'm no longer trusting my heart. I'm no longer trusting what other people say. I'm not trusting what I think should happen. God, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to trust your will. I'm going to trust your words. And your question might be, okay, cool, Eric. How does that relate to being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger? Here it is. The only way that we're able to have a posture always in which we are slow with our words is when we have a posture of faith towards God's word. The only way that we're able to be slow with our words is when we are able, when we are able to submit to and accept God's word. I'll give you an example to kind of drive this home. I think about my mother. My mother was like just nice growing up. And she was so nice that it made it problematic when she would discipline us, right? When mom was home alone, my, me and my younger brother, we were at the fool. We were not scared of my mom's discipline. And she would be stressing herself out trying to discipline us. And then inevitably in the discussion after she had stressed herself out, my mom would look at us and she would say the, the, the words that would shift the entire conversation. She would look at us and she would say, okay, cool. Wait till your dad gets home. And then after that, mom would be calm. Like, she would be chilling. We'd, we'd, we'd be still doing what we were doing. She'd say, okay, cool. I ain't even worried about it. Keep going. Keep going. Like, like, wait till your mom gets home. I mean, wait till your dad gets home. Like, why was she so quiet and calm after she said that? Well, let me tell you. She knew that she didn't have to use her words anymore to try to control us because she knew that my dad had the final word. She knew that he was coming home and that he would have the final word. Listen, NBC Arlington, to receive God's word with meekness is to believe that God has the final word. Y'all, we can rest because, our, because his word has more power and authority than our puny words have. Let me ask you this. Could it be, could it be, could it be the case that we are so quick with our words because we don't trust the power of God's word. Y'all, we often use our words and our anger to try to control people. Like our, our words and our anger are often used to try to control people. And then we try to use our words and our anger we, when we can't control people. And this often reveals that we really don't believe God's word when he says that he's in control. Y'all, we use our words to often be defensive and defend ourselves. And we don't, and, and I think that reveals that we don't believe his final word about us, that we don't need to justify ourselves because he justifies us. Y'all, we often use our words to hurt people who hurt us, and we really don't believe God's final word when he says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Y'all, listen, meekness is saying, God, I can trust that your words are much more powerful than mine, and so I'm going to receive them. And I think about this, I think about one of, the, one, of my, uh, my, one of my heroes, honestly. It's a woman by the name of Fannie Lou Hamer. I don't know if you know who Fannie Lou Hamer is, but Fannie Lou Hamer was a civil rights activist. She was an incredible orator. And one of the main things that she did is she organized African Americans to vote um, in Jim Crow South. And she went through so much pain and injustice. There was one time when she was arrested for doing what she did, and she was tossed in prison, and it was a night from hell. And in the prison, she was sexually assaulted by one of the police officers who rescued her. 
And when she was released, I know, I'm sure any of us would be completely, we would completely understand if she went off and berserk on the police officer that did that to her. But when she was released, she walked up to that police officer and she calmly said this. She said, have you ever wondered what you are going to say when you stand before God and you have to get to account for what you did to me? That's what she said. And many of us, we look at that and we say, how in the world was she able to say that? The only reason she was able to say that is because she understood that God's word is the final word. That's how she was able to do that. Listen, it doesn't mean that we don't turn a blind eye towards the evil in the world, but it does mean this, that you can have peace even in the midst of what's wrong, even in the midst of what's wrong in the world, because there's a God in heaven who has the final word and we can receive his word with meekness. My question for you today is this, do you know that? Do you know that God has the final word? Let me tell you, if you knew that God has the final word, you know one thing that you wouldn't do? You wouldn't gossip about people. You wouldn't talk about people around their backs. You would be careful about what you say about other people because here's the thing. You're not sovereign. You don't know everything. God does, and he has the final word about them, not you. How dare you go around affecting and changing people's opinions about other people? You don't got the final word about them. God does. Listen, God's word is a gift, and our posture should be to receive the word of God with meekness. So my question this morning, along with this, is like, okay, cool, Eric, receive the word of God with meekness. Like, what will happen if I actually assume this posture? Like, like, how do I know I'm actually doing this? What will it produce? Where's my last point? When you assume a posture of meekness towards God's word, the effect of that is that you actually do the word. You actually do it. You're not a hearer of the word. You actually do it. You become a doer of God's word. It's what verses 22 to 25 say. This is what it says. It says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, but at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. So, so, so listen, guys, what's interesting about this text is that this text, you see two different kinds of people, two different postures towards the word of God. You see, this word, it says that God's word is like a mirror showing us who we actually are. And in verse 22 to 23, we see a person confronted with God's word. They see themselves for who they really are. And one thing that we're all tempted to do, and I love how this verse points this out, is that we are tempted to make allowances for ourselves and excuse our behavior. We're tempted to make excuses for the things that the Bible reveals. So we'll say, man, I, I yelled at that person, but God, they deserved it. Yo, I, I talked negatively about that person, but yo, it wasn't gossip. I was just sharing a concern. Listen, uh, what I love about God's word is that God's word allows us to see our lives and our behavior for what it is, and we're not always going to like what we see. And because of that, we can either have two postures. 
There are two postures that we can have in approach to God's word. When you look at verses 22 to 24, look at the first person. This person is confronted with all the filthiness and the rampant wickedness that verse 21 describes, and they do nothing about it. Verse 23, it says this person is given an opportunity to look into the mirror of God's word, and the God's word reveals back to them the ugliness of what they see, the pride, the lust, the greed, or the anger. The word shows them that. And then in verse 24, this person turns away and refuses to do anything about it. And y'all, this isn't the kind of forgetfulness like I left my keys at the house. This is a willful forgetfulness. This is the kind of forgetfulness that a person has when, 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 uh, when someone's life is not going well and they want to forget about it. And so they just down like a, a, a couple of beers to forget about their problems. It's a willful ignorance. And listen, the, the, this person sees what the word of God reveals, refuses to deal with it. And let me tell you guys, there's a danger in being this kind of person. There's a danger in being this kind of person. Listen, the more that you intentionally forget God's word, the more that you get in the practice of hearing God's word and not doing it. And if you do that, you're in a dangerous position. Y'all, it is dangerous to open our Bibles each morning and practice selective hearing. It's dangerous to come to church um, each week and allow our pain to have veto power over whether or not we'll listen to God's word. Many of us allow our pain to have veto power over whether or not we obey God. Man, I'm about to give a political analogy, and I know people work on the hill right now, so don't send me an email and say, Eric, that's, exactly, that's not really how it works. Right? No, hang with me. So our president has veto power, right? I'm right, right? Veto power? Okay, thank you. All right. And so when a bill called crosses our president's desk, our president has an option. He can either sign a bill, and after he signs the bill, it becomes a law. Or what he can do is he can say, no, nah, I'm not signing that. I don't like it. He can send it back to Congress. Right? I'm right so far, right? I love it. All right. And so, like, in this instance, the president has veto power. He can decide whether or not something, a proposal becomes a law. Here's the issue. In our lives, we treat God's commands like a proposal, and then we run it past our pain. We think about it, and we say, you know what? God's telling me to do something, but uh, it's going to be painful if I do that. God's telling me to do something, but it's going to be really hard if I do that. And what we do is we allow our pain to have veto power. And listen, that is not the way that we should approach God's word. His word calls the shots. And when you do that, when you give your pain veto power, your heart becomes callous to the, to, to, to the word of God. So what is God telling you to do today? Go do it. I want you to take the posture of the man in verse 25. Verse 25, it says this. It says, but the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Uh, Josh, you can go ahead and come back up, man. I love that last line. It says that the person who does the word of God will be blessed in his doing. Y'all hear me this morning. Y'all, there's a blessing. There's a blessing in doing God's word and not just hearing it. That's an incredible blessing this morning. Like, hear me, hear me today, guys. You will always regret disobedience. Y'all, disobedience may feel good for a moment. It may feel good for a moment. But I guarantee you guys, that moment is going to fade. There is incredible blessing in obedience. In the end, 
The eternal blessing of, of obedience will always be better than the short-lived blessing of disobedience. There is blessing in obedience. But, but let me tell you this morning, where do you get the strength to get the blessing? Where do you get the strength to actually do the word of God? Because here's the thing. Every single day we mess up. Every single day we need to go to God with repentance and ask him for fresh strength. Where do we get the, 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 the strength and the energy to receive the blessing that this test describes? To obey the perfect law, the law that gives liberty. We get it from Jesus Christ. What I love about this is this. It's that we can receive blessing in the doing of God's word. Because Jesus Christ was cursed in his doing of God's word. So you're thinking, Eric, well, what are you talking about? Think about our Savior Jesus. Our Savior Jesus came to earth because of our sin. And he perfectly obeyed his father. He received his father's words with meekness. There was never a time in which Jesus disobeyed the words of his father. I think about even in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was sweating drops of blood. And there was likely, and, and, and if we were in that position, we would have gave our pain veto power. It's too much to bear. But Jesus in that garden, even with the agony that he knew was ahead of him, he said, God, not my will, but yours be done. Jesus did that. He perfectly obeyed his father. And because of that, he deserved the blessing. And yet, instead of receiving the blessing, you know what happened to Jesus? He was cursed. The Old Testament describes cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Because of our sin, Jesus Christ died on the cross, bearing the sins of the world. He was cursed. And yet three days later, Jesus Christ rose again in power, proving that he's victorious over sin, sin, and death in the grave. And he was cursed. Why? For your blessing. Giving us an opportunity, any of us who would confess our sin and trust in Jesus as Lord, we could be forgiving, have eternal life, and now we have the power to obey the word of God, not in our own strength. NBC Arlington, you have the spirit of God dwelling in you. You have the power to obey. Let's go do it by the strength that God provides. Let's take a moment to pray together. Father, we love you. And the only reason we love you is because you first loved us. So, Father, I pray that you will give us the strength and the power to do what you are calling us today. You said in your word for us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. God, we can't do that on our own. We love to be heard. But Father, I pray that we'll be a people that listen and hear your words, that we bow at your feet. We understand that you have the final word. And we pray that by the Spirit of God that you will give us what we need to do what you've called us to do. Father, in this room today, God, we've shared words with people in anger. I pray that you'll give us the power to go to them and to repent. Father, for many of us, God, we, we don't listen to people. We have friends and loved ones. They don't feel heard by us. Father, I pray that you give us the power to go to the people that we love and to ask them, how can I be a better listener to you? And I pray that we do that by the power of your spirit. God, may we be a people in a world characterized by people yelling at one another and angry at one another. I pray that when people peer into the walls of the church, they will see a people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. Help us to receive your word with meekness. God, we love you. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.